Michelle before that. If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open to Luke chapter 7. We're going to finish this chapter today. Luke chapter 7. We're going to read from 31 down through 50. Um, the main portion of our passage being 36 through 50, but we want to pick up where we left off there uh, last week. But Luke chapter 7, uh, beginning in verse 31. Let's hear God's word together. It says, To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come, eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come, eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and when he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to Simon, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed five hundred denarii and another fifty. When they could not repay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, as we come now to this portion of your holy and inerrant word, uh, Lord, we pray that you would be active in this time that you would speak to our hearts in a way that, that is mighty, that is powerful, that is transformative. Uh, Lord, this is one of the, the most powerful stories in the Gospels of Jesus. And so I pray that we would see ourselves in it, uh, that we would see the, the great forgiveness that, that we have offered to us here in the Gospel, uh, and that you would uh, break our hearts, that you would transform us after our Savior, after Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. The power of forgiveness. Well, as I thought about and ultimately settled on that title this week, I was struck by, by how transformative forgiveness truly is. Really, on both sides of the equation, but especially for those who receive it. 
I know I've told you many times the, the story of how when I was in the fifth grade, I scratched my name into the back of the, the chair that I was sitting in with a pair of scissors and how I had to go, for some reason, confess. Now that it's just hit me, I literally wrote my name. Why did I have to confess to anything? It was right there. Anyway, I had to go and confess the reality of what I had done to one of my favorite teachers of all time. Miss Cornfuhr was her name. And I just remember on that day, uh, as a 10-year-old, I guess, 10 or 11-year-old, feeling just this overwhelming sense of dread, uh, an overwhelming sense of guilt. This was a person that I respected, uh, that I loved, and to think that I might have disappointed her, uh, to think that that maybe what I had done would hurt her feelings or that she might be mad at me, it was sort of a, a devastating thought. It hurt to know that that I was wrong, certainly, but it also hurt to know that that I might hurt someone else. But but then, of course, in those moments, after I had confessed what I had done, uh, when Miss Cornfier, when she kind of wrapped me up, when when she told me that that it was going to be okay, uh, that that she forgave me and I believed it because I knew her, I, I knew her heart, and I really believe that she really did forgive me. Uh, that overwhelming sense of dread, that, that guilt, was replaced, right? It was replaced with relief, but also with joy. And it was also replaced with a desire to do whatever in the world that woman asked me to do. I would have ran through a wall for her. She had given me my heart's desire, forgiveness, and even as I repainted every chair in the room, that was my punishment, I had to repaint every blue chair in the room, even as I did it, I did it with a certain amount of joy, because I was forgiven. The power, the power of forgiveness, even in something as small as that, it was significant. I, I could feel it. Well, in our passage today, we we see that power on a much larger and a much more significant scale. As this woman, as she comes to terms with with all that Christ has done for her, as she feels the relief that that only his forgiveness can truly bring, uh, she throws caution, she throws social etiquette, she throws her personal pride, she throws everything to the wind And she both literally and metaphorically pours out her gratitude to her Savior. Her heart is so overwhelmed with all the love that she has received that she can't help but now return that love in whatever way she has available to her. Now the question for all of us is really threefold as we move through this passage. I want you to consider these things or keep them in your mind as we unpack this a little bit. First, do you know this type of forgiveness? Have you experienced what this lady is going to experience here today? And in answering that question, you're going to have to ask, do do I know myself? Why do I need forgiveness to begin with? Then secondly, and more significantly, do I know Jesus? Do I know what he is like? And then I want to end by asking the question, have we, are we expressing the gratitude that, that we should from what he has done for us? How are we expressing that gratitude? Well, those are the things that I want you to keep in mind. But before we go right into it, let, let's just pick up just for a second 
uh, where we left off last week because I think it'll help kind of set up this contrast that we're going to see between Simon uh, and this sinful woman that falls at the feet of Jesus. Now, you'll remember that when we left off, Christ had turned from the, the messengers of John who had come with his message uh, to the great crowd that was before him. And while he had reserved his judgment on John, while he had not you know, uh, declared him the sinner that he was for, asking the, for having the doubts that he had, uh, Jesus doesn't seem to have any of those reservations when it comes to the, the crowd before him, especially the Pharisees that are before him. And so there in verse 31, he says, To what shall I compare this generation? And his answer is one that you have to think. You know, Jesus always found a way to kind of get under the skin of the Pharisees, to hit them right where it hurts. And here you can see them almost seething, as he says, like children. They're like children who who can't decide really what it is that that they want to play. You have some out in the streets that, that want to pretend like they're at a wedding. And so they bring their flutes they play happy tunes, and everybody dances, right? It is a, a wonderful place. Then you have those other kids, apparently the, the weird kids, who want to go to a funeral, who want to be there. So they bring their instruments. Sorry if I just offended anybody. They bring their instruments, and they play a dirge. They play something in a minor key, and everyone is, is supposed to weep. And so you have these two sides, but then you have a third group, the kids, that they don't want to do any of those things. They don't like the games that are there. They're unsatisfied no matter what the options are before them. That's what this generation that Jesus is speaking to is like. John came preaching the wrath of God. He came preaching unquenchable fire. He was the minor key. He was the dirge. He was the funeral. And they said, oh, he's got a demon. He's crazy. Then Jesus comes, and he comes with salvation. He comes with with rejoicing. He comes with forgiveness, eating and drinking. He is the the dance. He he is the, the wedding. And what did they do? They said he was a drunkard. A glutton. They rejected him just the same. It seemed that, that no matter what the message were, and look, it really didn't matter what the message was, that they weren't happy, that they couldn't be satisfied. All they wanted were to be the, the righteous ones. All they wanted were to be the ones who got it right. They wanted to play the game, but they wanted to play it their way and their way only look at them and we say how childish how arrogant they must have been let's be honest is this present generation are we any different than those pharisees you know many show up to churches and they say oh i don't like this it's it's too serious they say oh it's it's too happy oh it's it's too traditional it's too contemporary that preacher, he was, he was too wound up today, or maybe he was too boring, whichever side that we fall on. More significantly, you know, we open our Bibles and we consider the things that Jesus has said to us. And we say, oh, he's, he's too judgmental. He, he's, he's too angry. He's too exclusive. Not, not enough people can get in. Then we turn around and say things like, oh, that's, that's too loving. <laughs> wait, wait I got to let this person in too? I can't, no, they, they don't deserve it. 
Ultimately, what we settle on is we just want things done our way. We want to play the game, but it's a game we play our way, not his way. Friends, Christ's warning here, it stands. He says, wisdom, the the ways of God, Jesus himself, the the friend of sinners, he is justified by by all who receive him, by all who know him. They declare that, that his ways are right. They find as they rest in him that he is the one, that he does know how to play the game. And his way is the only way. Now, that, that little section there is a great kind of illustration for us, or at least maybe the other way around. Maybe our passage today illustrates that little section there perfectly. And so I want to move right into it. As we consider this lady, and as we consider on the other side, Simon, you see this contrast at work. And so the first thing that I want you to see here in the main section of our passage is I want you to see first a surprising dinner guest, a surprising dinner guest, and you see it there in verses 36 through 38. Now Luke records for us that, that at some point this, this Pharisee Simon had invited Jesus to come and eat at his house, and why he did that, uh, we don't know. You know, it may have been that, that he wanted to try to catch Jesus in a lie. It may have been that he was truly interested, and he wanted to kind of pick Jesus's brain. Uh, but either way, uh, it would have caused quite a stir. People would have wanted to to be a part of this kind of uh, back and forth between the Pharisee and Jesus. And as was the custom of the day, they would have had the opportunity to do that. And so Jesus and this Pharisee, they would have been set up in this kind of open courtyard. Uh, You know, the tables were, were kind of round and they would have lounged at the table. They didn't sit up straight. They would have lounged with their feet kind of behind them. Uh, And during all of that, people, even off the streets, would have had the opportunity to walk in and just kind of listen to these men uh, talk about the important topics of the day, whatever they may have been. It's just kind of an open forum, open roundtable discussion. Now, you can interject, but you could at least come listen. And so it, it wouldn't have been all that unusual for unexpected people to be there. But... I think we can safely say that that when this particular lady walked in, uh, there was an element of shock. There was an element where everyone stopped and said, what is she doing here? Look how Luke describes her there in verse 37. It says, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, who was a sinner, Now, clearly, Luke is is giving us this with purpose. You know, this woman had a past, and it was a sketchy past, and it was a pretty public past, right? Most people assume that she was a harlot, and maybe she was, but but it doesn't really matter. The, the, The fact is, is that everybody there in attendance, they knew who she was, They knew what she had done, and every single one of them thought she should not be here. And so you can imagine the reception that she received as they reclined. The stares, the the whispers as she walked in, the scorn in the hearts of the other guests. For all in attendance, she was an outsider. And, And it's almost crazy to think that that willingly she would put herself 
in this situation. But that's exactly what she does. And it would be enough if that's all that she did. But, but the story doesn't end there, right? That's not all that she does. We read as we go on that, that she goes and stands at the feet of Jesus. And as she looks at him, she begins to weep. And this is not a, a little cry. It says that she's weeping to the point that, that her tears are wetting Jesus' feet. In other words, this woman, she is at this point an emotional wreck. Everybody can see it. Everybody can hear the sobs. They can hear her sniffles. They can see all that she is doing. And so the scorn that they feel, it builds. This is, this is embarrassing. How, how could she do this? She's still not done, right? Next, she, she does what in that time would have been the unthinkable. She takes down her hair. I think I've told you before that basically she could have run around town absolutely naked and not received any worse punishment than what she would have received for letting her hair down in public in front of other people. This sign of pride, this sign of security for her, she takes it down and she uses that hair to, to wipe the feet of Jesus. Not only that, but, but Jesus says that she has been kissing her feet continually. Now look, we all know feet, and that's, that's not anything that any of us want to do, right? But willingly, this is where she has placed herself. How small, how weak, how demeaning it must look to all of those in attendance. What a fool she is making of herself here in front of this man who is supposed to be a great leader. Surely he'll send her away. Surely he'll stop all of it. But she's still not done. And what would have been a large sacrifice financially, in worldly terms in that day, she takes the alabaster jar that's around her neck and she breaks it and she uses the perfume that it contains to, to anoint the feet of Jesus. Now, at this point, uh, you have to imagine that, that the room is dead silent. Like that, right? Silent. All eyes are on this lady. All eyes are on Jesus. Everybody's saying, what, what's, she, what's she doing? What is he going to do even from our perspective sitting here knowing the way that the story goes we squirm a little bit as we think about it not only is she going to receive the, the ridicule of the Jews of the Pharisees but what if Jesus rejected her what if he said no 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 no, no. I, I, none of this this was truly risking everything Again, the question is why? Why would she do it? Well, this is what you call a tease in the business. We're going to come back to that question in just a minute. But secondly, I want you to see here that these are exactly the questions that are running through Simon's mind as she is doing all of this, right? Secondly, in this passage, I want you to see a complete misunderstanding, and you see it in verse 39. He can't believe what's happening and it tells him as he watches it all he needs to know about who Jesus is. You can kind of follow along with his logic here. He says, if Jesus was a prophet, as he says he is, 
then he would know what kind of woman this is. He would know that she is a terrible sinner. Now look, automatically, see his heart. See, see the reality of how he views himself. Because the implication here is, yes, I can be here. I have the right to talk to Jesus. But this woman, she does not because her sin is so great. The implication is, is my sin is, is okay, but hers is, is too much. He says if Jesus, if he knew, he, he would have nothing to do with no self-respecting prophet, no self-respecting Jew would allow this woman to, to touch them. And so his conclusion is, Jesus isn't a prophet. He certainly isn't the Messiah. Here, here this is a man that, that is just a normal man. He may have some nice things to say, but he's not who he says he is. Guys, this is that attitude of the generation that we saw in the passage earlier, right? This is that attitude that says, hey, we've got this figured out. We know how this is supposed to go, how real religious people are supposed to act. And he sees in Jesus someone who doesn't act that way. Friends, he's wrong. He misses it. It's right there in front of him. The Messiah, the Lord, he's right there there. He misses it. He didn't understand, or at least he wouldn't see the truth of who he was. He, he wouldn't see his own sin. He didn't understand the truth that Jesus came to save sinners. You know, Paul says that in 1 Timothy, and we kind of poo-poo it. I don't know. We kind of dismiss it. He says it's a trustworthy statement, deserving of full acceptance, that Jesus came to save sinners of who I am the chief. Now we read that and we think, oh, Paul was just being humble. He was just being a preacher. He meant it. He knew the reality of his heart. He knew that he was the chief of sinners. And he knew that Jesus had come to save him. That it was a trustworthy thing to know that Jesus loves sinners. He didn't come to save the good people, not the righteous people, but those like this woman who are a mess, who are a wreck. Friends, that's the point of the parable that Jesus tells right there in verses 40 through 43. Jesus knows all that Simon is thinking, and so he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answers, say it, teacher. He says, a certain money lender has two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not repay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more. Now, now Simon's answer, it's almost laughable, isn't it? It's, it's that children thing again, because he says, well, you know, I suppose it's the guy that had more debt. That, that's the one. Now, he knew good and well, but it's that sinful heart, right? It's that childish heart that wants to be right. That says, well, you know, let me see if I can maneuver my way around this. Because I suppose it was that guy. What Simon has to realize here now, as, as Jesus says this to him, is that all his thoughts, all of his conclusions, they are known to the Lord. He knows exactly what he's thinking. And the reality is, is that Jesus, he does know exactly who this woman is. He's going to say in just a minute, all of her sins, which are many, he had counted them all. He knows them well reality is, is not only does he know this woman, 
he also knows Simon. He knows his heart. And that's the point for Simon, right? It's not just that the 500 debtor is forgiven more. It's not just that that one has more debt than the other. No, no, what Simon needs to see is that what are both people? What, What problem do both people have? They're debtors. And what can neither one of them redo? Neither one of them do. Neither one of them can repay the debt that they owe, right? And so the consequences are the same. They both need grace. And this moneylender has been kind enough to do that for them. Both of them have received mercy. Again, Simon, he, he needs that as well. But he is too arrogant or too unwilling to, to even offer Jesus a bowl of water, to even offer him a towel. He misunderstands the whole situation. And so he misses the Savior. Now, we've seen a surprising dinner guests. We've seen a complete misunderstanding. And then thirdly and finally, I want you to see the, the power of forgiveness. You know, all of this leaves us with the question that I said that we were going to come back to. Why? You know, fine, Simon doesn't get it. He misses the point, fine. But why is the lady going to this extent to show her gratitude, to show her love? Why why is she doing all that she's doing? What would motivate it? The answer is there in verse 48, right? It says, and Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Now, let's, let's be clear here. I think this woman somehow was a Christian when she walked through the door. I don't know if she was part of those great crowds that had gathered to hear what Jesus had to say, but when she came in there that day, she was trusting in the Lord, and so it's not her acts that that have saved her. Verse 48, it makes that clear. I think it's as much for for those in attendance as it is for for the woman herself. And again, 50, let's read verse 50. It says, Uh, And he said to the woman, your faith is her faith that has saved her so she can go in peace. Uh, In other words, the the sins uh, this woman had committed uh, that were so clear to everyone else, they they were also clear to her. And she knew, friends, she knew when she walked in there that day, she knew she did not stand a chance in life, certainly after life, Apart from a miracle, as she wept over the feet of this Jesus, as she wept over this one who so willingly offered her grace, who offered her peace, who knew her completely. You think about the the woman at the well, right? Who, Who has had all of those husbands and she's trying to kind of talk around Jesus and he's steadily just hitting her with the truth. I know about all your husbands. I know all you've done. And he knew everything that this woman had done as well. And yet, even in the midst of it all, he says to her, your sins are forgiven. She she finds in him the miracle that her heart has longed for. And so, yes, her approach here, what she does, it's messy. It's socially awkward. It's socially unacceptable. She didn't care. She just didn't care. Because the one that that she was pouring her heart out to was the one who had loved her unconditionally. 
He had loved her with so great a love that even in all of her mess, he says, you are mine. And so her heart overflows with that love. It overflows with worship. This is the expression of her gratitude. Friends, let me ask you today. I said we were going to consider it, but have you experienced the the power of Christ's forgiveness? Forgiveness that that only he can give. Only he, because he is God in the flesh, has the power, the right to forgive sins. That's why they are so amazed there in verse 49 when they said, Who is this who even forgives sin? It's only God who can do that. And yet Christ is able to do it. Friends, you must first see your great need. The debt that you owe to God that you, the Bible says, that, that we cannot repay. And look, maybe you're here today and you're seeing that debt for the first time. And it's overwhelming. It is uh, not fun. Uh, there, there is no peace as you consider the, the things that you have done. If so, let this sinful woman be your God. Like her, fall at the feet of Jesus. Bring all of your sin, bring all of your pride, bring all that you hold dear, and lay it before him. Friends, he'll take it. He's not afraid of it. He won't turn away. He won't turn you away. But he'll take it all, and he will bear it in your place. Maybe you're here today, and you've understood these truths for a long time. Maybe this is the the 10 millionth time you have heard this said in your life. But maybe your heart's just grown cold. The truth of all that that you know has just become commonplace. Friends, if so, again, let this woman be your God. Look to to Jesus. The amazing thing about this story is that this woman, she she doesn't even know the, the full picture yet. She knows just in part. That's why Jesus says at the end about John that even those who are coming after, those in the kingdom, are greater than him because they're going to see the full picture. They're going to have the whole story. She doesn't have that, and she is doing this. If your heart is cold today, let me point you to the cross. Let me point you to the one, the spotless Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. See him there, broken for you. See him there, bearing the the wrath of God in your place so that we might have forgiveness, so that we might stand in his presence and say, Lord, we might cry out to him, Father, and know that he hears us. Here in just a minute, we're going to sing... Hymn number 465, Marvelous Grace of Our Loving Lord. And I just want you to hear these these verses before we sing them. Sin and despair like sea waves cold threaten the soul with infinite loss. Grace that is greater, yes, grace untold, points to the refuge, the mighty cross. And then verse 3, dark is the stain that we cannot hide. We all bear it. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide, whiter than snow you can be today. Grace, grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Friends, I ask again, do you know that grace? If so, come and worship.
Come and bow down at the feet of Jesus. It may be awkward. It may be weird. It may not be what, you, what, what we all think it should be. But come and worship at the feet of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, as we consider these things, uh, as we see this, this sinful woman, Lord, the reality is as we see ourselves, as who we are, our sin separates us from you. We have no right to come in and to worship you, to bow before you. And yet we've seen today a gracious Savior, one who is kind and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, one who loves even the worst of sinners. And so I pray that you would teach our hearts that truth. Uh, help us to, to confess all that we've done before you. But help us also to find the forgiveness that only you can give. And as we learn to rejoice in that, as we learn to live in that forgiveness, Father, I pray uh, that you would help us to go out, to live lives of worship in all that we do, every act a sacrifice of worship to our great King and Redeemer. It's in his name we pray. Amen.